Hello and welcome to Minimalist Buddha Podcast, where you learn to systematically declutter your mind, your life, and your personal living space. I'm Sensei, your host, and I want to welcome you from wherever you're listening in the world. I also want to say thank you to all of my students, my clients, my followers, and supporters. Without your support, my work would not be possible. I'm excited about today's episode, and with no further ado, let's get right to it. And so we continue with realization number one, which is dealing with the nature of this world. And as part two to the first realization, I'm going to cover two aspects of it, the nature of mind and also the cycle of birth and death. I'll read this one more time for those of you who may just be joining us. And if you haven't listened to part one of this first realization, it would be helpful if you did so. It is as follows. Realize that this world is impermanent, that nations are unsafe and unstable, that the four elements cause suffering and are empty, and that there is no self within the five skandhas that all things that arise must change and decline, and that they are but false appearances without any stable essence, that the mind is the source of evil, and that form is a congregation of wrongdoings. Contemplate all of this, and gradually you will disentangle yourself from the cycle of birth and death. Now, as I mentioned in part one of this, there are many aspects to this first realization and quite frankly to this entire sutra that would not be appropriate for me to try to cover all of that in this particular platform. But for those who are my students or perhaps maybe at some point I'll do a workshop or something like that, we can cover all of the aspects. But the parts that we are covering should be enough to give you an idea and enough inspiration about what's transpiring here. Because this first realization, as I stated, is one about the nature of this world. You'll find that the other seven are about how to be in that world. So let us begin. The nature of mind. It's so important for us to understand the mind. And I hope with what I'll share with you now will help illustrate why that is the case. So first, let's understand the purpose of understanding the nature of mind and why this is part of this first realization. And basically, it's to get people to think about how phenomena Arise, change, and decline. Now, previously, we talked about successive change and moment, momentary change. And I hope that what you can do now is begin to look at your entire, your entire experience in life 
and see that every phenomena goes through this cycle of arising, changing, and declining. And as a challenge to you, I challenge you to search for a phenomenon that is an exception to this. It's a great exercise because what it does is move what is being shared here, this realization from the level of theory or philosophy or even religion or this or that, whatever category the mind wants to subjugate it to, to the level of the nature of reality. And that's what we're achieving here. That's what these realizations are meant to do. To help us understand the nature of reality. So, if we can understand that all things, and here we're not just talking about material things. I think it's really important to, to note that. That whether material or immaterial, all phenomena arise, change, and decline. Now, related to this understanding of the mind and phenomena together, there is a mention of false appearances. And specifically, what is meant by false appearance is any appearance that we believe has an essence or a permanence. Think about that for a moment. False appearances. Now, for many people, they might argue, hey, I'm looking at a red T-shirt, and no one can tell me I'm not looking at a red T-shirt because, look, there it is, and it's red. So that is the mind that is caught up in appearance. What we're doing here is going much deeper and looking at the nature of reality. And so when we say that all phenomena arise, change, and decline, and we say that all phenomena, as you may currently view them, are false appearances, it's a very specific, deep statement about the nature of mind and this world. Because when we say that an appearance is false, then we mean that it has no essence, has no independent existence, and it has no permanence. And in this sutra, and generally, when the Buddha would speak about this, he said, it is a delusion. Now, that's a strong word. It's a delusion to believe in false appearances. So this is not an indictment or a psychological uh, diagnosis, but rather a representation, a description about holding such thoughts, that it's actually a delusion. What we assign to phenomena. And so all the sense of difference or even sameness 
it's very confused. So we look past the form, we look past the color, we look past what it feels like, what it looks like, what it sounds like, and this is the level at which we are looking at. Past all what the sense data presents to us so that we can see something that is common and true about all phenomena. And when we're able to do this, then we awaken. And that is the purpose of this, to awaken. To become fully self-realized. And when you awaken to this truth, then you can experience awareness in a way that you may never have thought was possible. And specifically what I mean by that is that without suffering, what you experience. Could you imagine a life like that? Well, the beauty is, is that you don't have to imagine it. You can begin to live that life today. But there are so many false appearances, so much misunderstanding about the nature of the mind and phenomena. But now you're on the path of being able to go a long way to clearing that up. And it begins with these realizations. It begins with contemplating these realizations and testing them. Test these realizations. Now, also as part of this realization, there was a statement made that said that the mind is the basis of all things. And the Buddha used to say to understand your mind, your mind is to understand all minds. That's a really profound statement. To understand your mind is to understand all minds. And so what I hope you're getting a sense of in terms of this realization that we're exploring is that you have everything you need already to see the truth, to experience truth, to be the truth. And this really deep and methodical way of doing it doesn't require you to go anywhere, to meet with anyone, any of that. Although that can be very helpful and it's very likely that many of you who are listening would need that additional support, that additional help. And there's no fault in that because we've had so many years of habitual behavior, especially as it relates to the nature of phenomena, believing them to have a permanence that they don't have, believing that they have an essence that they don't have, believing that they have a self-subsistence 
that they don't have. That someone helping you deal with the phenomena that you are most attached to in that way could be quite helpful. So yes, the mind is the basis of all things. To understand your mind is to understand all minds so that when we say that the mind is the source of evil, this means that this is where that phenomenon arises, in the mind. The wonderful thing is, is that it can also be extinguished in the mind. Again, no need to go searching for the place where change needs to happen. It first needs to happen right in your own mind. And here you're being given the tools to help facilitate that. So I want to share a couple of stories with you to kind of bring this home. So there was once this junior monk who heard about a Shan master who was well known. And so he had interested, he was interested actually in going to learn from this uh, Chan master. And so he made his journey to this monastery where it was known that this Chan master was teaching students and monks and nuns. And it so happened that one day he happened to be doing some gardening work. That is, the Chan master was doing some gardening work and the young junior monk came to assist. And so as they were using these gardening tools, knocking away weeds and knocking away uh, debris, a snake came out from the brush. And that Chan master chopped at the snake with that gardening tool. Now, this really was shocking to the young monk. In fact, he found it difficult to continue working. And when the Chan master looked up and said, hey, what's, what's the problem? He said, you know, that was kind of out of line what you did, I think. I mean, I've been here several weeks and everyone has been so compassionate. And then you just did that. And he's like, what are you talking about? Well, with the snake, that was really not a good thing to do. It was very coarse. And so the Chan master put down the gardening tool and then said, well, listening to the way that you're talking, who is coarse? Am I coarse or are you coarse? And so, still beside himself, the young monk was persistent in feeling that this was not correct. So he asked the child master, well, what is, what is coarse? And the child master had already begun working again, so he turned around and dropped his gardening tool. 
And then the young monk says, well, what is not coarse? And then the Chan Master picked up the gardening tool again as though he were in the chopping motion of going to chop the snake again. So, as you can imagine, this young monk was utterly baffled and confused. And he said in a rather unfriendly and disrespectful way to the child master, no one could ever understand this type of uh, definition of course that you speak of. And so the child master said, very well, let's not speak about course uh, in this way or that way. And as they went on, the conversation ultimately ended in this way. The young monk asked the Chan Master, don't you think that that was coarse action? And the Chan Master said, what action? What are you talking about? <laughs> he said, what did you, when did you see me do something coarse? He said, just now I saw you do that. He kind of exclaimed that in a loud voice. And the child master said, you came here to see a snake get chopped. And that's what you saw. You came here to see a snake get chopped and that's what you saw. And so this story is indicative of how we create certain things in our mind. Because the Chan Master was essentially saying, if you were really in the now, then this would not have been on your mind all this time. You're making a distinction here based upon something in your mind that you think you understand in one way. But in fact, it's not as you perceive. In a similar way, there's another story I'd like to share. And this has to do with another conversation between a senior monk and a Chan master. And it was interesting. This discussion was because the senior monk was saying, hey, I was reading this sutra and I'm a little bit confused because it seems like the interchange of the de definition for mind and nature uh, you know there's a difference between the two but it sounds like what this is saying and what I've read that there is no difference and so the Chan Master said the only difference that exists in this instance is the deluded mind versus the enlightened mind. And right now your mind is deluded. So the senior monk was a little bit confused and asked him to continue to explain what he meant. And the Chan Master said, look, I'll use as an analogy, water. When water becomes ice, this is like the mind solidified. This is delusion. And when the water 
or the ice cube becomes flowing water, this is like nature. This is enlightenment. And so, again, the point being that when the mind becomes fixated on something, it tends to solidify that in a way that often leads to confusion and misunderstanding. Because we want to believe something that may not be entirely true or at all ultimately true about that phenomenon. So here we have this very interesting idea that you can carry with yourself now. That when the mind becomes fixated on something, it hardens it. You begin to have certain opinions and ideas and thoughts that become stagnant. They're not malleable. There's no flexibility. Stubbornness can begin to set in. Self-righteousness. Unnecessary criticism. Becoming overly critical of others or even yourself. But when the mind is not fixated, when it is not diluted, then it flows like water. This is what enlightenment is. So with that said, let's now move on to the cycle of birth and death. Now, there's a couple of concepts about this cycle of birth and death that you should understand. One is that it has no beginning and no end. Think about that. Again, doesn't it feel counterintuitive? Of course, there's a beginning and an end. That's why it's called birth and death. We were all born. We're all going to die. I know someone that was once here that's not here anymore. But yet we say the concept has no beginning or end, birth and death cycle. Second, it's driven by, on the one hand, our thoughts, our speech, and our actions, but also by our desires and our intentions. That is the cycle of birth and death. You must begin to think it more deeply way beyond a biological experience, way beyond scientific explanation about the birth and death cycle, physiologically speaking. We're pushing past that and beginning to see that the cycle of birth and death is related to our thoughts, our speech, and actions as well as our desires and intentions. Now, on this continuum, we can look at birth as being like arising, the phenomena of arising, and your life being like the change, the biological life. Look at what happens with you. 
your biology changes all the time. It's changing right now, whether you are a newborn or fully grown adult. You're in a constant state of change. And then death is the declining. So here we can tie the nature of the mind with the nature of this world, with the cycle of birth and death, all under this continuum, this kind of representation of a rising, changing, and declining. Your thoughts arise. Then they change and then they decline. Now, they may do this repetitively, and enough so that there seems like there is no space in between that thought and the next, but in any case, it still is following this pattern of being there, abiding for some time, and then declining. And so it is with the cycle of birth and death. And so here's a deep insight here about why and how it is that we experience birth and death. But in order to understand it, again, you have to get away from the biology and understand that the consciousness is driving your experience of this cycle of birth and death. There are certain desires and tensions that you are engaged with that ultimately decide and influence your experience of birth and death. Your thoughts, your speech, and your actions are likewise playing a role in this experience. And this cycle does not stop, nor does it need to stop. And in, the Buddha never ever taught or said you need to stop the cycle of birth and death, that you need to try to end it. But he did use this word. He said you only need to disentangle yourself from it. Disentangle yourself from birth and death. And how are you attached to birth and death? We have the answer already in this realization. Remember we talked about impermanence? Remember how we said nothing is permanent? No phenomena is permanent. So when you think about death, and if you're someone who thinks of it as the end, no more, it's forever going to be, right? You should rethink that. Birth only happens once, and it's a very particular thing, a solidified being coming out of the wound of another being. Again, these very stagnant, dry, and shackling types of views about what birth and death are keep us trapped by it, keep us in fear of both birth and death and living. So if you have fear of arising, you have fear of change, and you have fear of declining, then 
this is why you have anxiety. This may be why you have depression. This is why you may be full of suspicion. Distrust. Because the entire cycle of birth and death is one that is completely misunderstood. Now, how do we transcend? How do we disentangle ourselves from the cycle of birth and death? And I'll say it's by stopping and seeing. And this is a contemplative act. That is, take the time to contemplate deeply the truth and verify it for yourself whether what has been discussed here in this realization, number one, is actually so or not. And if you're not willing to stop, then you will never see. And what do I mean by stop? Stop the chatter. Stop the mind from running in all these different directions. Stop this overstimulation for just a short time so that you can sit and contemplate something much more meaningful that will change your life, I tell you, immediately. And if you stop, then you will start to see. And here we mean true seeing, not just seeing with the eyes, but you will understand. This is not about persuasion. It's not about faith. It's about you being willing to verify for yourself, for your own peace, the truth of the nature of this world, your mind, and this thing called the cycle of birth and death. Because the trap right now is that the awareness is so narrow and when the awareness is narrow, it becomes fixated on certain things. And the longer that fixation endures, the more it becomes the truth to someone and the more delusional you become. That is, believing in false appearances. Remember that. It's important to stick with the definitions and vocabulary here because we're using common words but with not necessarily common contemporary understandings. So we don't want to be delusional. We don't want to follow false appearances. So this first realization then was really to teach us many things. Out of the many kind of wonderful nuggets in this, I chose to focus on impermanence and emptiness, the nature of mind, and the cycle of birth and death. At some point, I can perhaps go deeper, but as I said before, podcast format is not the proper place to do that. But if you're someone who would like to go through this sutra with me, either in group or individually, 
You can contact me on my website at minimalistbuddha.com. Send me an email, a note, and perhaps we can arrange to do this together. Until next time, wishing you peace and blessings.